0: ladies and gentlemen welcome to episode number 43 of material issues i'm mark Hirschberger of pop detective records nice to see everybody and of course joining me as always my very good friend from the west coast mr david bash of the international pop overthrow festival david how the heck are you this afternoon i guess early afternoon you late afternoon oh, very well
1: mark thank yeah. you for, for asking um yeah i mean uh, full disclosure i've been going through a, so, so another series of chest issues but again it doesn't appear to be my heart thank god so we'll yeah. uh you know we don't know exactly what it is right now but you know it's probably that old anxiety bug yeah rearing its ugly head that's but, the blues
0: songs you you need to write is that old anxiety bug
1: that's right. <laughs> but, you know, I'm feeling it's all good. I'm feeling pretty good right now and very glad to, you know, to be here. Um, let's see what uh, Oh, I had my dad uh, uh Rena and I had my dad with us for a couple of days. That was nice. Very cool. Uh, I love my dad. It was great to ha- have him in in our home the first time. Um, since and we bought it. He'll be uh, turning 91 uh, this weekend, you said? 91 on Saturday. Yes. Wow. Well, uh, We'll be going up to Bakersfield, which is where my sister and her family lives. That's, that's who he stays with um, per, uh, permanently. So, uh, yeah, we'll be going up there, 100 miles north of L.A. Uh, to, uh, to celebrate that. Uh, let's see what else. IPO? not uh, No particular news. I think last week I mentioned that we got San Diego and, and L.A. Uh, we got the venues. Uh, so I'm in the process of booking bands for that of course we have phoenix coming up in uh in less than three weeks we've got uh chicago coming up at you know the last nine days of april right Uh, we've got liverpool of course in mid-may
0: speaking of liverpool when you say that you know i I sent you that video of jeremy in his uh (laughs) in his legendary liverpool performance that we did talk to him about on material issues a couple months ago, but uh, we did locate the the video where he destroyed the front stage of the famous cavern.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is something that was the first year of IPO in Liverpool. Um, that was something that I missed because we used two, st- you know, the two stages in the Ages, cavern, yeah. and I happened to be on the other stage um, introducing or, or or sending off a band when that happened. I came back in the on the other stage, and like the amps are all down on the ground. Nobody. I figured I figured Jeremy would still be playing. Uh, but They ended their set a little bit early. The amps are down on the ground. The mic stands are down on the ground. Uh, I have no idea what the hell's happened. And then the sound engineer comes up to me and tells me, yeah, they knocked everything over. I'm thinking, Jeremy and his band? Are you serious? It wouldn't hurt a fly, you know. But then you and Rena told me what had happened. And it was like, what the hell? And they they, of course, were not none too pleased. But I thought to myself, you know what? If any band had to do something like that, I'm glad it was Jeremy, the Jeremy band, because Jeremy yeah. would pay for everything, right? right. Be like some young kid band says, "Man, we're skint." You know, uh, I couldn't
0: believe I found the video too, and I was like, I it, I "I'm it, I so glad done. you
1: did because I, I had never, yeah, you know, I'd never <laughs> been, I hadn't seen it live."
0: And we weren't, we weren't exaggerating. It, it, no,
1: no, it that's found... yeah. That was the best part about it, that I found out that you you have given an an accurate rendition of what had happened. um, Then, you know, I I asked Jeremy, and he said, well, the feeling kind of came over me, David. (laughs) And then, you know, and and then his kids followed suit. And it's like, oh, my God. Well, you know, when when April jumps into the
0: crowd, you want to be on the receiving end to (laughs) to catch her,
1: right? (laughs) I'll just leave that right there. Well, and she's a,
0: she's a very nice young lady.
1: No, actually, right she's there. a mom now.
0: She's married and she's a
1: mom. Yes, yeah. she's married to Adam. They they've got a great family. They do. And, she's um, she's
0: she's wonderful. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. And um, speaking of wonderful, we have Here a we very go. wonderful guest today on material issues. You know, people they hear songs, you know, from their youth, or they hear songs during their youth. And sometimes they just take for granted that the people who recorded them actually wrote them. Well, of course, we know better. But that doesn't mean we always know who wrote everything we've heard. Right. And uh, this this uh, gentleman, the one I'm about to introduce to you, has written songs that a lot of people who we know and love have recorded. People like Herman's Hermits, um, The Yardbirds, Cherry Smash with Fader fade away maureen the, the great the psych pop song that's on rubble compilations and all kinds of stuff like that and uh the tremolos who had a big hit with uh one of his songs and of course the most famously uh, Manfred manford man with haha ha said the clown yeah. and, and fox on the run both uh, big hits in the uk and the hollies with listen to me which was also a huge hit in the uk and you know, is is definitely thought of as one of the greatest Holly songs ever. Uh, but he was a recording artist in his own right, uh, releasing several albums. And one of them, from the late sixties, was called uh, Tony Hazard Sings Tony Hazard, which was reissued um, in the late in the late two two first decade of the two thousands, and is now being reissued again in slightly different form. And I should grab it. I don't know what is problem here, I should have had it there it's called Demonstration and the reason for that is these songs, although they sound very finished to these ears were really demos that uh, you know were given to other people and others recorded them and you know, there are versions here of Ha Ha Said the Clown Fox on the Run, Hello World um, and, a, and uh, a bunch of them including uh, Fade Away Maureen by the Cherry Smash uh, all great stuff here, and uh, he's still a very viable uh, singer-songwriter in his own right. He played IPO Liverpool at the Cavern a few years ago, and we're really, really glad to have him. So, would you please give a huge material issues welcome to Mr. Tony Hazard? Good afternoon. And- yes. <laughs> hey, Tony. Yeah, he yeah you, you got you got to give
0: it up for for somebody with the. Uh, the talent like you, Tony, I mean, David said it absolutely correctly. Many times, you know, the bands that put it out and you think you that they wrote the songs, but when you do a little bit of deep dive into who actually wrote a lot of these great tracks, you come up with the name hazard. And then you say, well, who is this hazard fella? And then it just becomes this giant palette of wonderful work, my friend. And, um,
1: yes,
2: just, uh, just amazing,
0: you know? Um, Thank you very much. That's the
2: first time I'm seeing a CD. Ah, oh, is it really? Yeah. Okay. See- yes. <laughs>
1: well, well, I'll be writing my review of it, Tony, so don't say anything bad to me. <laughs> the money's uh, in bad, the bad to me. One of the few uh, 60 songs you didn't write. I mean. <laughs> yeah,
0: there you go. There you go. Wow. Uh, well, nice to have you here, Tony. Uh, uh, you know, fantastic. Uh, we like to bring on guests and material issues that people uh, sometimes may not know that much about. And um, uh, they need to know about you and they, they need to know about all the things you've been involved in. And that's going to that's lead them down a, a lot of really cool roads. So thank you for being here and being, part, being a part of this. Uh, um, one thing, you know, I, I read somewhere that you started off young playing the ukulele. Uh, besides yes, yes. guitar as well.
2: Um, uh, how, how did that come about? I, I used to see this ukulele in a shop window, walking walking to school, I always wanted it. First of all, I wanted a trumpet. I'll never forget, the, the, advert, the advert said, not a toy, a real musical instrument. But it was plastic. <laughs> um, so, But my parents wouldn't get it for me. And then I saw this uke. And I really wanted it, and then one Christmas they bought it me for Christmas, or Father Christmas did, mm-hmm. and I loved it, absolutely loved it. And that's and then from twelve on the age of twelve onto guitar after that. But I've been coming back to the uke all the time, and and that's the uke on, on the front of the CD sleeve. Oh wow, yeah. it's the same one. Wow. No, no, it's a hand built one by, by wow. a
0: luthier. In, in well, were your parents musical? Did you learn how to play the ukulele uh, from them, or how did uh, how did you, you teach know, I, yourself?
2: I just i got I got a book with the chords and songs yeah. and, and learned very old-fashioned songs. Mm-hmm. Believe me, if all those endearing young charms mm-hmm. were have fade mm-hmm. by tomorrow today, I, something <laughs> I can't remember, and the minstrel boy to the war is gone. And oh now, wow! At the age of eight, yeah, very old. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. Now you were brought up. You were brought up in and around Liverpool, yeah, and which which means, of course, that unlike most of us, are, who, whose first exposure to the Beatles was on Ed Sullivan, and not to diminish that, because that's what prompted so many people to become musicians, but um, you actually got to see the Beatles at the Cavern uh, before you know before they were famous around the world. What what was that like, and what was the Cavern like at that
2: time? Um. What was it like? Yeah, originally they used to have jazz bands, Dixi- Dixieland jazz bands, and I used to go and see those. And then at lunchtime they started having groups, and so I can see different groups. And the Beatles were one of the groups. And I think I think the first time I saw them, they'd just come back from Hamburg, and they were wearing leathers, leather leather outfits, and and. And they had a good following, Liverpool, but a lot of people didn't think they were the best band. Really? The... Oh, yeah. I mean, Jerry and the Pacemakers were far more professional. I mean, the Beatles, I think, were just sort of very slapdash and lackadaisical. <laughs> it wasn't the Beatles on the, on the Ed Sullivan show. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. well, <laughs> we're, we're, was, the, was the crowd uh, in the cavern for a show, for, say, the Beatles or even Jerry and the Pacemakers, was it really like crazy? Was it just a no, it, sweat of noise, or or do, were people listening?
2: It was. It was usually people working in offices at lunchtime. Oh, it, okay. And it was there was no license there, so everybody that they had soup there and and Coca Cola. I can't remember. Everybody remembers the smell of the cabin, which was <laughs> a, a mixture of disinfectant and raw sewage. I think, but nobody. Huh? We didn't know that at the time. I mean, there sort of was <laughs> sweat hanging, you know, condensation dripping down the walls. And it was a very wow. exciting place. Yeah, I saw some good people there. I saw, I saw, um, oh God, Bruce Chanel playing Hey Baby. Oh, oh wow. I it okay. on. the harmonica. It was great. Um, now, the-
0: did, you, did you live close by? Or were you, it was easy access for you? Or were you taking, Taking public transportation into... Yeah,
2: uh, I, I, we get the bus. I get the bus on okay. the train, yeah. yeah. go in because I was on the outskirts. So uh, at the
0: time, if you're playing ukulele and you're learning some guitar and things, yeah. uh, was the whole scene at the cavern something that prompted you to get into uh, songwriting, more pop tunes, things well, things
2: of that sort? It wasn't sort? so much of the cavern. It was sort of in the air at the time. Everybody was starting with, you know, skiffle group. I had a little group when I was 16, 17, something like that. And we used to, it was just another guitar and me on guitar and a and a drummer. And we used to go on the on the bus, take the drums on the bus and put them under the stairwell. And um we used to play at a local hospital every week for 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 the public. And that and they I think that's where I learned an awful lot. And if I hadn't gone to university, I would have been in a Liverpool band. But I went to university in 62 when it was all starting. Mm -hmm. So, um,
0: But there must have been a lot of people around at that time, 61, 62, up to 64, were all all over the place, young people playing instruments and getting into skiff. It just seems like the scene had to be really big with a lot of people playing music. So you could run into a lot of people all the time that were interested
2: enjoy yeah. that um, yeah um, you know. and we, we all like similar sort of things I, I remember reading that George Harrison was at the Empire in Liverpool to see Lonnie Donigan. the day I was there watching Lonnie Donigan, and and then getting a guitar which by my father bought me a new guitar and I wanted one that looked like Lonnie Donegan's guitar a bit he was I didn't know at the time he was you know playing a martin but I got the nearest thing I could.
0: yeah martin would have been kind of the high-end uh yeah uh, guitar
1: (laughs) did your chewing gum lose its flavor on the bedpost overnight was a huge hit in the states yeah yeah actually, but skiffle never really caught on here the way the way it did there um there were a couple you know there was the odd song like that one and then in the summertime by mungo jerry several years later but it never really caught on here unfortunately Yeah, um, so, did you initially, and we're talking about now, you know, when you're you decided you you are going to be be a musician? Um, did
2: you see yourself initially
1: more as a songwriter than a musician, or the other way around?
2: It was the other way around, I think, because uh, I joined a band at university, and I didn't know what I was going to do as a, for a career. My father kept writing to me and saying, "What are you going to do?" And I didn't know, so I was doing my <laughs> degree. And then the final year, the drummer in the band said, why don't we go professional? And the lights went on and the bells rang and I knew what I was doing. And my father, my fa- I told my father, I wrote a letter to him and he wrote back and said, I'll support you for a year. By which, <laughs> by which he meant he'd send me a pound occasionally. <laughs> probably, about, probably about three pounds over 12 months. <laughs> Well, back then, they could buy you something anyway. <laughs> yes. so what, was oh,
1: song, what was the first song you wrote? Oh, golly.
2: It's probably... A, I used to sometimes... With the band at university, we were doing things like... We'd do Beatles stuff uh, when that came out, but we used to do Ray Charles and Jimmy Reed, bluesy sort of stuff, Um. Hoochie Coochie Man, all that's that sort of right. thing, with harmonicas and things. Um, and, and I was writing slightly different stuff from that. Um, I, I can't remember. There was a song called If You Were True, which we never, I think we did a demo of it, but n- um, nothing happened to it. I, it never got published. And, what
0: uh, what what prompted you to really start writing though? What um, what, what to make the made the light go off and say you know I, I should try my hand at this, and I, and what made you feel that you were accomplishing something that
2: maybe was decent? You know, um, I, I don't know. I did. I don't know where that came from. It was just it was just sort of automatic. It seemed right. to be something I was interested in, and 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 that's that's what happened.
0: And you have all the old notebooks that you've written, all the lyrics? Uh, and <laughs> <No. shorts.
2: laughs> I asked so, some people, that and they're like, no. <laughs> I, I, um, I, I met a friend at university called Tony Garnett, who worked for the BBC. And he, he came up to see a friend of mine, and a friend introduced us. And Tony said, and I played some songs to him, and he said, I think you're very commercial. And I didn't know what he meant by that word but he said if you want to do anything in the music business you've got to go to london so at the end of the year we at the end of this academic year we went down to london and um played played there and played had a residency in west london played every week until a fight broke out it was a bit like glenn (laughs) Miller. i was (laughs) standing there playing and the the chairs in the air being on people's heads, and I'm playing. Well. <laughs> and they closed it down after that. It was a shame. It was a good. Part. Oh no!
1: How long <laughs> after that did you did you get your record deal? Was was it with Columbia
2: first? Yeah, it was incredibly fast. It, it was. I I. I'd been offered. I think one of the demos that the group had done had got into the hands of, of um, a chap who was a sort of agent manager, radio station owner. And he was offering me a deal. And and I said to the band, they want me, not the band. What should I do? So they said, go for it. You know, who knows what's gonna happen. And that's very nice (laughs) of them. Yeah, my friend. I've always worked that way. Yeah, my (laughs) friend Tony said said, I don't think you should do this. He's because he's very dodgy, this chap. And after that, two weeks after that, he was murdered with a shotgun. Wow because somebody didn't like him and then Tony introduced me to Jerry Bronn because he was working with Manfred at the time who was doing the music for the Wednesday play for the BBC and that's how that developed so
1: you mean somebody that, just just Manfred man the person not the whole band well the whole, I
2: think the whole band did the the um trying to think about it I I think it might have been the whole band that did the the, the the music the
0: theme tune oh, okay yeah. it's amazing how it's amazing how you know we've interviewed so many people uh from that time period of how they get their record deals and they walked right into major labels and said here's what i've got hey we're signed and you know and you can't do that kind of thing in in, in these days anymore but um a lot so much of it is is time and place and, and who you really and it yeah, really
1: the timing right. was really good for you. You had one person introduce you to the right person. Yeah, yeah. That was, stuff doesn't happen anymore.
2: No, was, I was very, very. late. Like, I had dinner with Tony Garn a couple of years ago, just before he died, oh. and at, at the time he was eighty, and I didn't look it. He looked exactly the same. He looked, he looked younger than I did. We went for lunch, and I said, I, "You know, I was thanking him for what he did." He said, "No, you did it. You, you did it." But he was very instrumental, and then. If you think I left university in the june of sixty six no sixty five in june of sixty five and and had you won't be leaving in the charts in March of the next year and had a, wow. a, a single out as well, which was incredibly quick quick. you'll never yeah.
1: put apples on me, yeah, that was
2: yeah. it.
0: You gotta have a kind of moment where you sit back and go, "How did this just happen?" you know, yeah. Uh, it's 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 a the whole thing is very weird. It, well, and, and talk about the time frame of the '60s like that, and, and we talk with a lot of guests that we've had, and and it very much is like that. It, you know, it was such an open era with a lot of open ears and people looking for stuff and and looking for talent, and there was a lot of talent. You had to have the talent. You can't you couldn't have just been yeah, yeah. somebody with the songs. There was a lot of talent uh, floating around at a time when when there were sponges that wanted everything and. Yeah in the right place at the right time with 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 talent you know it happened
2: yeah i think it was also in the air if you if you look at the change from the 40s and 50s because everybody talks in decades but i think it goes from mid-decade to mid-decade so you'd have have, um say from 55 to 65 and 65 to 75 that's how it seemed to me and that then it would change on those times. So so you had the gray, the black and white, gray days of the 40s and 50s and rationing and all that stuff. And then bright colors, everything, everything exploded. So creat- creativity exploded in, in the arts generally.
1: Mm-hmm. Well yeah. of course yeah. in 55, you have Elvis starting to come to yeah. come to the forefront and rock and roll, you know, being being given to the masses. Yeah. And, so many, and so many bands and and artists, you know, following suit. Yeah. And then, as you mentioned, in 65, things start to get, you know, uh, once the Beatles start to become famous, of course, um, changes start occurring in, in the music, musical landscape. And uh, by 65, as you mentioned, there were so many bands out there yeah. doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. But yeah, I agree with you. That's a, a much better division than just the decades themselves. Yeah. How did you get, how were your songs getting into the hands of the right people?
2: Via the publisher, many, the publisher's wife at the time, who was a real hustler. She was like a um, a six-foot Jewish bodiceer, <laughs> Boudicca, I should say. She, she was, would take, never take no for an answer. She would just go to places and you know, she was very, very good at hustling. And I would <laughs> I would. Um, we had a hit with "You Won't Be Leaving, and then I, I was offered a, a, a contract. And but I, everything I wrote, Jerry Brown didn't like, and I, I didn't know what to do. And um, so it went for a year like that. And I, I went to see him one day with four songs in in his office, took acoustic guitar in, and sang three of them, and he didn't like them. So <laughs> so I stood up and said, "There's no point in." Doing this and and walked walked out and he said no, no 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 play the fourth one, so I did and it was ha ha said the clown ah there you go and he a big grin came on his face he said it's a hit I didn't know I was I was being been useless at telling what was commercial or not I I never I still don't know
1: a lot of people don't it's it's, it's it's but he had an ear I guess
2: yeah yeah oh, I mean well, if, what happened I mean,
1: to the other three songs did they eventually be Get recorded
2: by other people. I can't remember what
0: they were. I They're don't, I don't in really that remember. lost notebook of all his notes and chord structures. No, really?
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> now when when you had your first uh the first singles in the, in the charts and did you uh did you stop playing in a band and playing live and concentrate solely on songwriting? Um uh, or did you continue
2: to play live? No, I, yeah, I I I I focused on songwriting because once it was a hit and I was I thought, what what songwriters? Um, now I'm a songwriter. What do they do? They write songs. So I, so I, <laughs> and get very excited by it. You know, before I went to bed at night, I couldn't. You know, I'd be playing and working things out, and get up in the morning and carry on, and and it, it was very exciting for me.
0: Now, um, when when you uh, when you were uh, writing songs, uh, where did you get inspiration, or how did you go about it? We you know we we talked to artists who will just be walking down the street or in their car, and they'll hum something and either write it down or or something. But then you have a guy like Gilbert O'Sullivan that we talked to who goes into his office at 8 AM in the morning, and he sits there till 4 o'clock in the afternoon just banging away and banging away, like brill building, songwriting. Yeah. Uh, he's going to get it done in the process. Uh, what was it like for you? How, how did things flow through you?
2: I had friends who did that. They worked office hours and they would just churn songs out. I didn't do that. I would, okay. I would, I, w- I mean, half of ha, Said so The Clown took six weeks before I got it to the way I wanted it. Wow. Uh, wow. And and um, I would take a long time. And at the time I was friendly with Kathy Chitty, Paul Simon's girlfriend. Oh. And So she, she used to tell me how he was. And it was very, very similar. He, he, she said he's going through a dry period and he can't write <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but so, so where did I get? I don't know where the ideas come from. You just sort of I would noodle around on the guitar and something would occur. And I think I like I like that. And then, then you sing nonsense words to it and and then something would develop. So well, melody for you kind of came first, then ly- lyrically. Uh, generally, I would say that. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, it, all, it always fascinates me because you know uh, one of your your Andy Williams song, "Getting Over You." Um, I love that song. That's a song that just that uh, just tears that tears me apart every time I listen to it. It's a great song, um, and I and I wonder where the inspiration for that comes, and whether that's melody first, and then I'm just trying you're trying to write around the melody, or I if you had I- that.
2: idea I, I, I'm trying to think back. It's all a long time ago. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's all right. I'm we some probing questions here. Yes, we I, I'm, I'm trying <laughs> to remember um, that that came from... It, it, I have a book of lyrics out. I must advertise that on Amazon called Selected Lyrics. And oh, so,
0: so people can go out to Amazon. If everybody's watching Amazon, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, really.
2: they are selected so there's some things I haven't put in there and some things I have that aren't very well known um but but that was the idea from that came when I was on holiday um in a village called Deia in in Majorca on the north in the north of majorca a little village and it was um it was about it was thinking about um, a relationship that had ended, but it hadn't quite ended, if you see what I mean. So it was still lurking there in the background. So, and there were lots of songs like I'm, I'm getting over you. And I thought it would be nice to have I think I'm over getting over you. It, it mm-hmm. was a, I always wanted to do things lyrically that were slightly different. Because right, everybody, had, you know, I love you and I'm blue and all that. Everybody had done that, but I wanted to do something slightly different. Um, and there were lemon trees there, and the sea was there, gazing underneath the lemon trees, gazing far out to sea. Like her, I'm indescribably blue, because I think I'm over getting over you. And interestingly, that out, that song was pitched to Art Garfunkel. And, oh, wow! And it, he, I heard that he didn't like the line, "Like her, I'm indescribably blue," which I thought was actually That's the best
0: line in the song.
2: Yeah, yeah it's very yeah. yeah. So, I mean, oh. and, and and it's interesting because Kathy was very keen for for me to meet Art because she said if you 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 two would get on really well, but we never ever got together, we never did it. So there, wow. so that's oh. where that comes from. It comes from a real a real situation, and there's a line in the middle uh, of it about in the bridge about the walk, the quiet talk with friends at sunset. That's a line from an ode by. The poet Horace, because I loved it, Horace's oh. own, and he wrote very succinctly, and that's what's what I used to try and do: write very succinctly if I could, so everything was condensed. And a very and a very relatable
0: song too. I, I love relatable songs. You yeah. know that um, in my life, you know, yeah. I, I've always been trying to get over certain things, and, um, and I, very much, you know.
2: I think that's the main thing. I think people sometimes write. Uh, will write their own personal experience, but it's got to be something that will echo with other people. Right. So it's yeah. got to it's got to chime with the way they feel. You must mm. wake awake something in them. Yeah, yeah. Tony, in in rest in restudying your
1: career. I came upon a song that I, you know, may now be my favorite of yours, "The Princess and the Soldier." Oh yeah, uh, by Richard Barnes. It's a beautiful, it's a really beautiful, gorgeous song. Reminds me a lot of what Duncan Brown was doing around yeah, that yeah. time. Um, and also, I want to thank you because it was through that that I found Richard Barnes' solo album, which now I have to see if I can fi- find for my collection. Um, I, I I got to hear some of it on YouTube and it, it's brilliant, but it never came out in the US.
2: Oh right, I, I, it was on CD. I think it was re. What re- was Sh- it? I think it was. Yeah. Oh, then I better then yeah, I better get I don't get on I it. Get it. It might be. It might be on. Um, on a you know. Um,
0: eBay or something.
2: Maybe on Discogs or something. Oh, yes, yeah, something like that. Yeah. I but, think I, um, I've
1: so, got. Uh, uh, Eventually, a very famous group uh, ended up recording that. Uh, tell us about that.
2: Well, it, it was—I um, thought it was a group, but it was a solo one. It was actually by um, Daryl Hall. Oh, it was, Dar- oh, it was just Daryl. I, Darryl, I literally Hall. thought it was Hall and Oates, and I thought this is very odd. It's—it's it's like lots of things. <laughs> I forget how they came about and what happened. And I was saying in an interview the other day that I couldn't remember how it how it happened, and I did. And there was a guy called Steve Apple, who was a producer, and he and his wife came to see me when I was living at Loudwater. And I think I must have played it to him. and He said, oh, that's really good. And and I think that's how it got to Daryl Hall.
0: Well, of course, you, you didn't know that 50-something years later we'd be sitting here at Material Issues
2: <laughs> telling you about, about yeah. how it came about. Half my my brain cells have long since. And ours too.
1: (laughs) You know what they say about the 60s, though. You know, if you remember it, you weren't
2: there. So. The reality is, it's about the 60s. It's not because you were stoned or anything. It's because you're old and you you can't remember things.
1: Well, we're younger than you, and we're going through that also. So, yeah, we're
2: all, all going to get
0: there.
1: <laughs> so tell us about "Good Night, Sweet Josephine," recorded by obviously maybe the coolest band that uh, who, uh, of any who did your songs, the Yardbirds.
2: Yeah, yeah, that was, I, I used to drink. I was living in South London at the time, near Clapham Common, and Clap. There was a different areas in, in Clapham. It was Clapham Old Town. Which is the original village, I think, and there's a pub there called the Rose and Crown. I used to drink in there, and I think the police used to drink there late at night when they were going on raids. Um, <laughs> well, I had this, I had this idea that wouldn't it be funny if if a, if a local prostitute was drinking there at the same time as the police? So <laughs> it just came, and I just thought Clapham, them. That seemed the obvious thing. So that's that's how that came about. It was a t- like a lot of my songs are quite tongue in cheek, you know. It's a yes. fun song. But how did
1: the yard? How did it get to the Yardbirds?
2: I think it must have been Mickey Mouse because Mickey did quite a few of my songs, and uh, um, that's that's what happened. And and also, um, another band had done it called. Oh wait a minute. can't remember what did cherry smash do
1: they did fade away maureen which i was going to say oh that's it yeah that's the coolest song you've ever written fade away maureen yeah and fade away maureen by the cherry smash is on so many psychedelic compilations now you you talk to psychedelic collectors and you ask them about the the 10 most iconic songs by that weren't big hits in the psychedelic pop realm and "Fade Away" maureen shows up on a lot of
2: lists on the cherry Mas- smashes version it sounds like jimmy page playing it yeah it really was it's a and great maybe movie. it was he was on yeah. enough stuff It great been. guitarist great guitarist though but they didn't do the bridge They didn't do the middle bit <laughs>
0: i wanted to ask you uh with fox on the run man the manford man uh which is a fantastic song. Was there any tie-in later on, or did were you mentioned was it mentioned to you at all from the band The Sweet with their own song "Fox on the Run," which is completely different, but there's very similar harmony climbs in Sweet's version as it is in your version, and it's almost like they they got the title and said, "But we love that harmony uh, climbs," and it, it, there's a lot of similarities to what they did um well I wonder, anything at all or or just uh that's I, wonder, just happy... I wonder
2: how that came about he said with his tongue in his cheek <laughs> <laughs> I think it's called theft to be fair the 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 rising harmonies was Matt manfred's idea okay wow. he, he did that um but i i just found that very odd if you it's like me writing a a song called Michelle or Yesterday or Imagine, you know, I, I just wouldn't do it. I started the song many years ago and later on I heard a John Lennon song and the melody, the opening melody was exactly the same. So I thought, I, I, I can't do that, I just yeah. gave it, just stopped it. But I thought, I, you know, you, you don't write a song called Fox on the Run, that's silly. Well that that that's that's why I asked because there's not a whole lot of songs called Fox on the Run.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so you take you take the two that you know of and um not that you know the sweets version is you know very much like your version as far as you know the way it comes in and whatnot, but when it hits that ah, yeah, and climbs the dog, it's 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 the same thing going on. And uh they had to have been influenced a well,
1: lot. This was yeah. all Chin and Chapman, right? Yeah. They- they wrote. They wrote the song. So it didn't
2: happen, yeah, it hasn't got the greatest melody in the chorus. Yeah. Box on the run, <laughs> box On the run. But I, I,
0: always found that interesting that the, uh, yeah. that, that, that the, that the harmony climb like that was was so yeah, similar. It,
2: so I'm, I'm I'm like saying, it, it doesn't float my boat. But you, but that's
1: interesting that you say that, Tony, because a lot of the biggest hits have melodies that aren't all that interesting, but are but but at the same time are very catchy. Um, you think of somebody like Steve Miller. I, I'm not sure how familiar you are, you are with him. Oh, yeah. In Steve the Smith. 70s, he had so many hits. Yeah. With some of the simplest and most uninteresting melodies ever, but people didn't forget them.
2: Oh, no. Mm-hmm. And
1: that, that's a big injustice because some of the most beautiful, most interesting songs with tantalizing chord changes never did get as big as some of the most simple ones
2: no no i i agree i agree but i I think in terms of that particular song it 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 wasn't up to standard in my book
0: it was it was of its time and of its place and there was a lot of uh visuals involved uh you know what they looked like uh, so much more so a lot of that stuff is is time and place and it um you get a lot of that, that glam has that same kind of yeah. stuff going on. And, you know, but I, I just found the I just found some of the similarities yeah. interesting. And I wanted to ask you about that, whether
2: David, I agree with you about about the simplicity of songs. I mean, like, when I taught on songwriting courses, I've, I've always I always use Ain't That a Shame um, by Fats Domino. Mm-hmm. And, and it just starts. Gone, how does it start? You, made, you, made, me cry you,
1: made,
2: you, you made me cry when you said <laughs> goodbye and straight into the chorus. It yeah. wasn't a two-minute intro or anything. It was, oh, long, tall Sally. Well, I mean, so, I love all that simple rock and roll. It's, yeah. it's great. But I think if you're doing something, if you're writing something like Fox on the Run, it's got to have some something interesting about it, I think. We right. I mean, have
0: questions here on material issues. I yes, mean.
1: absolutely. <laughs> Tony Hazard sings Tony Hazard. <laughs> uh, you know, when you think about that album, or when I do, the first thing that comes to mind is the Graham Gouldman thing, because he was doing a very similar thing to you, Yeah, writing songs that other people recorded. And then suddenly he puts out an album where he's doing his own versions of these songs. And that's exactly what Tony Hazard sings. Tony Hazard is. Was it your idea to do that album, or did somebody convince no, you?
2: No, it was. It was because it wasn't an album concept. It was just the demos over over three or four years collected. And Jerry Brown said, "I think we should put them out." And 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 got a deal with CBS or Columbia in the states. Um, it was and- shocking.
1: Yeah, it's shocking to hear that those are demos. Because they sound very finished to me.
2: Two, two. I always try to do well finished demos, which in some cases didn't help matters. Manfred, for example, didn't like finished demos. He wanted to make a song his own, and so he would. The demos we used to hear in Bron office by Gilbert O'Sullivan or Bob Dylan were all very, very basic, very, very simple. Um, but, but other other producers like. To have finished things, and I said to Mickey Mouse once when he did some called "Me, Me the Peaceful Heart" for Lulu, and um, I said, I said that's exactly like the demo. I mean, we used to flute on it because the keyboard player Colin could play the flute, so I thought, well, I wrote the dots out and I played twelve string with the flute solo, and Tat the drummer played bongos in the middle bit, and that was exactly like like <laughs> Lulu's version. And Mickey said. I get demos that are so good. There's no point in trying to better them. <laughs> and Jimmy well, Page played on it. And he said, he said, that's a great demo. Will you send me a copy? And I said, yeah. He said, I bet you forget. And I did. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you also did some, uh, from vocal work. Uh, you, you, you were on a couple of Elton John albums. Uh, yeah. Uh...
2: I, I, I was friendly with, with a singer called Leslie Duncan, yeah. who, um, uh, and she was in the song in, in the backing vocal circuit. So I, 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 it was a bit like joining a coach. There were several of us all, all doing the circuits. The, we, we do have the same people and we all did harmonies automatically. Mm. So I, it was a, it was a great grounding in, in, in any sort of singing. Right. And, um, and Elton was, was one of that group. And, um, so when he, he'd done Empty Sky at, at, with with the Dick James, and then Gus Dudgeon was going to produce him. We didn't know this at the time. And and he said, we, we called him Reg at the time. And he, he said, um, I'm doing an album. Will you come and sing on it? And we all said, yes. And it was at Trident Studios. And I remember listening to the track and thinking, wow, this is good, this is something else. Um, and that was that was good fun, yeah. It was great. So fun. you
1: could see his tap. You could see. I mean, in your mind, did you think this guy's going to be a superstar?
2: I'd, when I heard the when I heard the backing tracks for for the for the David with the David with the Elton John album, I thought this is really good. And I remember the musicians thinking, "I'd like to pinch some of those," which I did. for Loudwater House. I heard Caleb Quay, for example, on guitar. Yeah. Nobody was like Caleb. No, nobody played like him um i did hear a story that El- that um, eric clapton was asked who was the greatest guitarist and he said caleb quay wow and then bj cole on pedal steel who eventually played in my band for a bit in the seventies.
1: have you heard have you heard caleb quay's song woman of distinction
2: it's, no
1: it's under just the name caleb um and it's also it's a lot like "Fade Away, maureen it's a little bit more up tempo but it's uh it's uh, another psychedelic pop classic that you see on the, on those compilations. You should definitely search that out. Um, it's really yeah. good. And, it, and his guitar playing on it is awesome. Yeah. But you know, he's also a pretty good singer. Well, they modulate his voice a lot, but uh, it, 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 works. <laughs> it works out pretty well. Um, have you, uh, speaking of Elton, have you heard the new, the latest reissue? Well, it's, It's technically a a first issue, but we call those reissues. The Regimental Sergeant Zippo. It uh, came out last year for Record Store Day, and it's an album that had been recorded and then shelved because uh, the label dropped him. Um, And it's songs from pre-Empty Sky.
2: It's really good. Oh, right. no, I'll have to send you an email about this. You you want to seek this out. Yeah, Um, uh, I haven't haven't seen Elton since we did the Festival Hall concert with him. Mm. Uh, And he he came up for tea at Loudwater once. I think he gave me a lift home. Uh, But I can't remember much about that. You know, it was just sort of Elton coming for tea. We didn't think anything of it. Sure. And then then we lost touch after the Festival Hall and he went on to do all sorts of things. Sure, yeah.
0: Well, what do you what do you listen to nowadays, uh, Tony? Uh, do you tend to listen to things from the past, or are are you into anything that's going on uh, presently?
2: This, this is this is sounds awful, but I don't listen to, I don't I have a great hi-fi system, I don't listen to it. I don't, <laughs> I don't listen to the radio. Occasionally, after a few drinks at night, I will. You'll YouTube. bump into the power button. <laughs> no, I'll troll YouTube and, and, and throw up something old, like Sweet Nothings by Brenda Lee, hmm. or or Bread, or Little Feet, or you know, something like that. And do you uh, do you, do you continue to write it all these days, or um, no, or... I, I've stopped. I the, the last two things, it got to the point where. I, th- I mean, at one point in the 80s, I got very stale. I was writing a song and I, I was, this was boring. So I stopped and did something else. And then 20 years later, came back to it and finished the song. And it's actually <laughs> <absolutely> very good. <laughs> <laughs> but now I've I've sort of dried up and I thought, I don't want to push it. So the, the last two creative things I wanted to do was to revisit that first album because I somebody had often told me where the Original four-track tapes, were, yeah, and and so I bought I bought twenty-seven four-track tapes, which are in the end room at the moment, taking up a lot of space, and and I had some transferred to good quality um, computer files, and and then I tried mixing them, but I didn't know, I, I wasn't really happy. I wasn't sure what the point was, and the point then I thought. No, this is this is like a historical document, and that's the way I've done the album, as it with, you know, notes about the tape recorders and the and the microphone used, mm. and um, photographs by from the sessions over the. So it's it's all very it's like it, it's, you know people people know famous albums in the 60s like the Beatles, but they don't know more obscure albums and like that so I thought I want this to be there's a quote on it from um, T.S. Eliot about about re going on a journey and arriving at the place for the first time and knowing it right knowing it for the first time and that's what this album is so we've tried to include studio sounds so the first track the matter with you starts with Tom Allen the engineer saying First four to four, take one. Yeah, and it feels as though you're in the studio, and there are there are occasional countings and and odd things. If you listen to "Fade Away, Maureen" and let it run a bit, there's a for some reason there's me saying a word. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm saying I'm saying an English an English pronunciation, but you pronounce it differently. <laughs> it happens sometimes.
1: Um, well, I, I think about Wendy by the Beach Boys. If you listen, if you listen to uh, the, the the instrumental uh, break in the middle, you can hear somebody coughing. That I don't know why they never took it off, but it's there.
0: <laughs> well, we're, we're glad you we, we're glad you put this historical uh, piece uh, together because uh, you know. And again, we've talked to other artists. They're like, "What's the point? Why should I do this?" Yeah. Uh, uh it needs to be done. You know. Yeah. It, be done and, and I, th-
2: I, I think the fact that i got jerry boys to do it because he's a such a great engineer right now um, he's won five grammys doing it so he knows what he's doing and we've known each other for ages and i said would you be interested and he absolutely loved it he said it was great going back to those original you know original sounds right and trying to make something of them
1: Well, I
2: did, he connect, you? did he, he connect
1: you with liberation Hall?
2: No, that, that came via somebody in LA who used to oh uh, I can't, it was Burger Records. Oh, wow. Um, so Sean so-
1: Borman, maybe Short, or
2: Sean wow. Borman. Yeah. Wow. And he 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 was he loved the original album, really wanted to do something with it. And and then we got the tapes and he got very excited and I said, Look, what I wanted to do originally was just put a vinyl album out and do the lyrics book. And that was my final, two final creative type stuff. And that was going to be it. And I was going to retire and sit in the sun and drink gin and tonic, <laughs> which I still may do. And, um, and then Sean broke up with Burger Records. He was going somewhere else. And then that changed. And then he was going to Liberation Hall. But I hadn't spoken to him. I, he said he was going to be promoting the vinyl version. So mm. I hope he still is i hope so too.
1: well he runs a record store in orange county california i'm sure i'm sure they'll be carrying it so at the yeah. very least he'll be promoting it there
2: yeah yeah
0: and i know a demonstration is available on amazon as well probably another many yes. other online yeah. uh, sites yeah. so anybody anybody who watches this is is, is looking for something uh, or looking for that in particular it, it's out there so uh yeah just search uh search on amazon and i've been running a little thing across the bottom that says your twitter at Tony yeah. tonyhazard.com there's information that can lead you uh, in those directions yes. too so yeah please anybody check it out uh you won't be sorry fantastic
1: let's go back a little bit uh while we have time um and talk about loudwater house because yes. that's the early 70s and thing the the music climate is also is making a huge change at that point too you, you know you went from this sort of psychedelic pop to sort of i don't mean you but the climate like uh, yeah, yeah. psychedelic pop to bubblegum to to then the early 70s which is sort of like a, a almost like a respite from all of the uh, you know huge uh, frenetic activity of the late 60s you now have sort of a down period where people are mellowing out and yeah. music is becoming very earthy yeah. and that album certainly is an, an extremely earthy album in a very good way
2: Thank you. That was again Jerry Bron's idea. Uh, he, he said to me, "Why don't you don't focus on being commercial? Just go away and write an album." And I, th- I never had focused on being commercial consciously. I might have done it unconsciously because I was a songwriter and I wrote songs and I wrote pop songs. So inevitably, I was f- focused in that way, but not consciously. Um, and so. That's how Loudwater house. It was the end of a relationship and the start of another one and my friends in the area. And, and, and it was sort of just a fun thing. And I was able to have Caleb Quay and PJ Cole on pedal Steel. So I'll never forget forget, the first session was Blue Movie Man. And we'd book book the I'd booked the studio and I arrived there 20 minutes early, I think. And the air was full. the smell of cannabis (laughs) oh god this is going to be a train wreck (laughs) so i played so i played it on acoustic guitar and the drummer was a chap called roya temro was the drummer with Cachis with bj cole and um great band by the way yeah and 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 um so i played it to them and the backing track was recorded in 40 minutes that was it and, and except at the end of the session, I think we booked it from two till eight, something like that, that Roy couldn't was too stoned to pack his drums up. Somebody else was <laughs> him. But but it was there's a funny the other thing, I found it for some reason, having spent years in studios, I found it difficult to hear what I was singing with cans on. So we, we did a lot of the vocals with us with a speaker facing behind the microphone facing me to just to listen to the backing track wow um wow. and at one point the loud there's a song called loud loud water zoo all my friends as animals and they all came to the studio with beer and goodness knows what it's so it was
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was the time
2: <laughs> yeah oh lord and if you look, if you look at the tracks on it you'll see a sort of long track and then a very short track and the long track and the very short track so we did it did it like that uh, uh, well yeah and, and
0: not to put a, a like a sour note on it but but most of your most of your solo releases never really charted well it was a
2: secret it was a secret list only certain people were allowed to buy it <laughs> I, just, but, I, I mean, it, of that.
0: it's not for lack of, of great songs. And no, you, not at all. you just, you don't know, you know, and that's why, that's why I've taught my daughters and, and I tell everybody that I know. And then David and I talk about these things. Um, You, you got to go back and you got to find where this stuff came from. And there's, there's reasons why these, these songs are as good as they are because they're coming from, you know, sheer talented people. And, um, and and here's here's a here's a yeah, thing where 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 chart placement means absolutely nothing as far as it comes to your talent, Tony. So that's um, what
1: my festival is all about—the yeah. one you played at the Cavern, International yeah. Pop Overthrow. There are a lot of talented uh, singer-songwriter musicians out there who you know don't have much of a shot of making the charts, but that doesn't mean their stuff isn't viable, and that doesn't mean it isn't deserved to be heard. So. That's what we try to showcase. Uh, there's so much talent out there.
2: It's inc- interesting because the next album was was that all right then. And mm-hmm. Melody Maker reviewed it and said, no, it wasn't. Try again. Uh. And I, I thought, well, I listened to it, and <laughs> oh. I recorded it with the band. We'd been playing on the road. It was a very tight band. <laughs> and and the, the reason for the title was... Uh, Sometimes, I was doing it all myself, and and so there were times when I, the only time I could get in the studio was six in the morning, so I'd have to get up at 4.30 in the morning and drive into London, and the engine, you know, I'd do a take, a vocal take, and the engineer, I'd say to him, was that all right then? He said, well, come and have a listen. So that's where that came from, and also the fact that nobody had bought Loudwater House, so I said, was that all right then? Which was a gift. So that you know, the guy on Melody Maker probably couldn't was probably learning the guitar at the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway,
1: anyway. Know, no doubt the seventies, to my way of thinking, the seventies had more great albums
2: that didn't do well on the charts than yeah. almost any other. I think decade. I'm over getting overused on that, and I think, I, mean, I, I, yeah. I really like. I can listen to that now, and I still like it. Sure. Yeah. So, so I, I you know. It doesn't it, it gets to the point where it doesn't matter, you have to do what you feel is right always? Um, yeah. and, which is really what I've always done.
0: And thank you for it. Uh, and yeah, yeah.
1: I, I'm looking behind you at, at all the uh seven inch singles or 45s as we always call them. Uh, is this are those all the songs that you that, that, those?
2: Are, those are books behind me.
1: Oh, I thought I thought it's they were, <laughs> I thought they were, so so were so sick. No, I
2: uh, believe CDs are over there.
1: <laughs> I'm looking at right behind that uh where I'm pointing. Um those are books. Bu- oh okay. Oh,
2: those are books on, on the table. There's a table there,
1: yeah. Oh, they are books. They look like, funny from our from my vantage point, they look like
2: 45. No. There's, no. One, there's one 45, but I think you can see it. Um <laughs> I think maybe it was everything yeah, that you wrote oh,
1: yeah. written for other people. <laughs> <No>. <laughs>
0: Oh, uh, it's awesome. Uh, it's fantastic. Well, Tony, this is this has really been uh this has really been an absolute pleasure. Um Thank you. You know, yeah. when when David uh when David popped uh, the name up and said I've got Tony Hazard, um I shook my head because it's just it popped out of nowhere. And and this has been an absolute thrill for me because there's so many songs of of yours that I know from other artists um that I love. And then revisiting your catalog. It's just opened my mind to a lot of things. So uh and we I,
1: want people to we want people to know, you know, we want people to know some of the people who may know some of these songs, we want them to know who wrote them. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Kurt. Oh yeah. thank you. Church.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, indeed. Um we really do. So you know, anybody watching uh material issues here live or on, on the archives, it'll be on archives. Um, you know, Tony uh, hazard. Uh, you can find him at uh, Twitter, which I'm going to put it up right now, uh, at Tony Hazard and TonyHazard.com. All the information you can find. Amazon's got demonstration. It's uh, got the lyric book. Um, so please seek it out. Uh, you will, you will absolutely be thrilled with uh, his entire canon. And the
1: only you- reason my copy's not open now is I received the files earlier, so I've been listening to it a lot. <laughs> But I will be opening it before I write my review. So and I'll make sure you get it. Make sure you get my review. Thank you so much, Tony, thanks, for David. being thanks with for us. us and um, yeah. and for everything you've given the world the world uh songwriting and recording wise.
2: It means a lot. And thanks for anyone who's watching and listening to this too.
0: Yes, indeed. Uh seek it out. But uh, my friends, stay happy, stay healthy, stay grateful, and uh um thank stay you again. Safe. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank yes.
1: You. Thank you, Tony. Be well. Yeah. Take care. Have Bye. a wonderful evening. Good night. Good Cheers.
0: Night. Well, there you have it, David. That's episode number 43 with the yeah. unbelievably talented Tony Hazard. Yeah, wow. yet,
1: yet, yet another gentleman who, you know, I don't think realizes the kind of impact that he's had on people. Um, you know, even oh, oh Stacy, oh, you, you checked in. Great. Thank you
0: yeah indeed um yeah i mean that's uh you, you kind of and we've talked to a few artists that are sort of like that they don't they don't really realize uh, or, or at least humbly don't realize the impact um uh that, that they've had on, on a lot of people um via a lot of songs a lot of different bands that have covered it um and he's, he's truly one of them a super talented individual
1: yeah and maybe the only guy who wrote songs. With a certain title that became huge hits. Uh. Um. Uh. With, how do I? This is such an awkward way of saying it. I'll I'll do it this way. Fox on the run and Hello, it's me, yeah. both of which on here and both of which title wise became big hits by other people. Yeah. Although Hello, it's me. I think you know, was written by, was written by Rundgren in probably early 68 before the first Nas album. So yeah, yeah. that, that, yeah, that one wasn't nicked by, uh, that's
0: a neat trivia, uh, trivia question right box there.
1: Box which, on the Run, yeah. I, which uh, way do we do
0: that? Maybe we'll have a future show, which is only strange trivia questions, music related.
1: <laughs> oh, I can come up with a million of them. I'm that's sure what I thought. Too. And you heard it here first. Yes, we did. And the other thing you're going to hear here first is who we're going to have as guests Yes, material issues uh, over the next few weeks. Uh, Next week, we're going to move to New York City with, I dare say, the most beautiful rock band in New York and maybe the world. Uh, and not only beautiful, but extremely talented. And we're going to be glad to have Sly Boots. Sly Boots. On uh, material issues, March 23rd. And by the way, for the for the foreseeable future, we'll be back at our normal time, yeah. which is 3 o'clock Pacific, 6 o'clock Eastern, 11 o'clock GMT, and everything else uh, then, now, and in between, as the Kinks would say. Um, <laughs> on March 30th, we're going to have uh, Drummer Extraordinaire, on uh, McCartney's Ram and on Wildlife uh, and others, um, member of McCartney's band for a while, still recording and uh, still doing his thing, Mister Denny Sywell. Yep. On March thirtieth, that's going to be gonna great. Be yep. uh, I'm sure he has stories galore. They can only imagine. <laughs> um, and now, and then the next two weeks, we're going to have, we're going to shift gears a little bit with a couple of. Uh, uh, well-known baseball players they're not playing anymore but they certainly did in on april 6th we have a cy young award winner um for those of you who don't follow baseball that means he was voted as the best pitcher um in his league and that was in 1993 and you know he's uh, certainly been the center of some minor controversies nothing too major but a very interesting man and uh, a very cool guy Mr. Black Jack McDowell. Wow. Yeah, his his parents didn't name him Black. That was uh, added later. (laughs) Jack McDowell. Oh, (laughs) really? Yes. On April 13th, we have another uh, former baseball player, not a pitcher, but an outfielder for the Yankees and Texas Rangers, then became an announcer for the the Yankees for a while, and um, another very interesting, extremely bright guy, We're going to be glad to have Mr. Billy Sample as our guest on April 13th. So tell all the baseball fans you know. But also, even if you're not a baseball fan, you should tune into these because we're not going to make it hugely about – it's not going to become geeky baseball where, like, oh, my (laughs) God, I don't even know what they're talking about. Did
0: you or did you not have sunflower seeds? (laughs) Yeah,
1: right. We're going to ask about a lot of things that you'll find. But like, if you saw the movie Bull Durham, you didn't have to be a baseball fan to love that. I actually saw that movie with my cognitive sciences colleagues. And as you can imagine, a lot of them, you know, they didn't care about sports at all. They were all science geeks. And they were cracking up during the movie because it's not just a baseball movie. It's just fun. And uh, these guys are going to be fun. Yeah, uh, yes. <laughs> and uh, we have two new guests that uh, we had not announced. And um, on April twentieth, we have well the daughter of one of the most iconic singer-songwriters of the twentieth century, and uh, she's still she's still playing and recording. And her the daughter who we're talking about was a really great not was is. A really great singer songwriter in her own right. She uh, released an album last year that was real good, and I'm sure she's going to have a lot of stories as well. Yes, that's right. It's Ms. Louise Goffin, uh, daughter of Car- Carol King and Jerry Goffin, on yeah. April 20th. That's, I mean, that's not
0: bad DNA right there, is it?
1: No, it's not. And <laughs> the, the apple didn't fall far from the tree. He's very talented yeah. uh, as well. And then April 27th, we'll let you announce this one, Mark. Yeah, this just
0: came to fruition a couple of days ago, and I'm very excited because I'm a huge fan. Uh, As anybody who loves 70s power pop, uh, they're an iconic power pop band that you you go, well, we haven't heard from them in a while. But uh, four great albums. Um, Let's just get right to it. It's two members of Artful Dodger. We've got Stephen uh, Cooper and the lead singer, Billy Paliselli, And not only, Billy wrote, co-wrote most of the tracks as well. So we've got two of the original members of Artful Dodger joining us on April 27th. Yeah,
1: they are a very, very cool band. Uh, Some of the stuff they did is pure power pop. They remind me, I mean, not sound-wise exactly, but they're kind of in the same category as Enough's Enough. Yeah. You know, a lot of people think we're more of a hard rock band. But if you listen to a lot of their songs, they're pure power pop. Every yeah. album of theirs has some power pop melodies happening. Yeah. Uh, artful Dodgers the same way, um, yep. and they, you know, they had their heyday on, on CBS records and tapes, and, and they uh, were
0: contemporaries. They played the same circuit as Blue Ash and Raspberries, and and all those bands back at the time. So they've got, I'm sure they've got plenty of stories. So uh, that'll be interesting. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So all right, so we've got, yeah, we've got a whole slew of. Great guests coming up in the next month, and uh, plus, and we'll have more. You know, we're always on. We're always on the prowl for for awesome guests. <laughs> we you know, sure we really do. prowl. we stalk them. We we, we stalk them. Uh, yes, we do. We them until they say, yeah, we'll do it. We even get attorneys
0: involved <laughs> <laughs> on both ends. On both ends. <laughs> I do want to mention uh, two quick things, just because uh, you know we had George Boyder on from the head Bo- head boys. A number of months ago, and um, you know, he took a fall and ended up in in the hospital. and And he is doing okay. Um, he's Good. still he's Good. still in pretty bad shape. He's still trying to come out of all this. So we send our prayers to uh, George Boyder uh, of the Head Boys and uh, hope everything works out uh, for him. And of course, an old friend of mine um, passed away recently, Ted Jones, who was the artist on. Uh, most of Clatoo, uh, four of Clatu's five albums. Um, uh, really talented artist. A lot of Terry Draper's solo uh, albums. Ted did the uh, Ted did the artwork for it. He passed away last week, and um, you know, God bless. Uh, it, it's nice to have the artwork for eternity for everybody to to still enjoy. So, um, a couple of things I just I just wanted to say. No, and, I- and that's that's, uh, that's it for now. Material issues. Another great show, David.
1: it was Boom, and uh yeah so thank you thank you very much for listening um if you weren't able to listen live of course it's on archive which why am i saying this if you're not listening to it live (laughs) by the time you hear it you'll have already heard the show on archive so that's way
0: too deep for me to think about i can't get there
1: (laughs) (laughs) anyway yeah it was great mark as always Um, uh (laughs) and um yeah have a great rest of the week. Um, we will definitely see each other again next week, and hopefully see you and as many other people as possible for Sly Boots. And see you next other- week for
0: Sly Boots. So hit that uh, hit that join button on Material Issues Facebook. Subscribe on YouTube. Tell all your friends because it's always a fun time here mm-hmm. on Material Issues. Good night, everybody.
1: Good night, everyone. Thanks.